We, we are family here, and that is where we're heading. We are God's family on mission. We say that because that is who we are as the people of God. We, we belong to God, uh, we belong to one another, and, 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 that, and we are a sent people. So because that is the case, uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ compels us to look and live differently than the world around us. Right? In trusting in Jesus, we no longer trust in the same things that those without Jesus trust in, right? at least when we're remembering the gospel. And, and we don't desire the same things that those without Jesus desire because we have found something better. Right? That, that should be true of all of us, and that is true when we're remembering the gospel. When we forget who God is and what he has done and who we get to be because of that, then we quickly slip back into our old desires, our old trusts, our old beliefs. But, but when we are remembering the gospel, we are a people set apart because we have found something better, the best, in fact. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Jim Elliott famously said, a missionary who ended up giving his life for the sake of the gospel, that he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And so, like the man in Jesus' parable who finds a treasure in the field and in his joy, it says, he goes and sells all that he has so that he can buy the field and obtain this treasure. Not begrudgingly, he's not leaving there going, oh, I guess I've got to sell all my stuff for this field. No, it says in great joy, he runs and runs home, sells all of his stuff so that he can buy this field because he has found something of great treasure. And like that guy, we, we, we don't feel like the things that we must give up are out of obligation or an act of suffering or even an act of sacrifice, but it's a great joy of trading the lesser for the greatest. Right? And those of us who are, who are soaking ourselves in the gospel and are, and, and are experiencing the fullness of Christ can hear that and go, Amen, absolutely. And those of us who are kind of on the fringes and are just kind of, you know, we show up on Sunday and we kind of go through the routine are hearing that going, I don't really think any of that stuff. Actually, anything I have to give feels like a great chore and a great sacrifice. And we can even convince ourselves that, that it's somehow better and more holy if it feels like a painful obligation and great sacrifice. Like if I find joy in it, that's somehow... That's going to steal my jewel from my crown in heaven if I enjoyed it. That's somehow more holy if it feels miserable and like a terrible sacrifice. But what we see in Scripture is a guy saying, Woohoo! I get to sell all my stuff so that I can go and trade that for this greater thing. And there is delight and there is reward in that. And so that should be how we are marked as Christians. That should be how people from the outside looking in see us and say, man, one thing I can say about those Christians is they are radically generous people. They are clearly people who understand that everything has been given to them in order to share because they are a radically generous people. And it doesn't even seem like it's a sacrifice for them to do that. They seem to find joy and delight in giving away. That should be how we are marked as a people. A generosity that is so extravagant that the world can't understand it 
but is so linked to Scripture and the Gospel that to those of us within the church, it's just normal. It's just normal life. It doesn't seem weird to us at all, but the world looking in would see why on earth would they be so extravagantly, almost irrationally generous? Because of the Gospel. Philippians 2, we should look at as the standard of our generosity. We're going to cover a lot of scripture this morning, so I'm going to, I'm going to read some. We'll have a bunch up on the screens, but, but Philippians 2, starting in verse 1, says this. Man, I, I love the sound of pages turning in a worship service. That is, sometimes that sounds even more beautiful than the music to me. I love, I love that sound. Philippians chapter 2, here's what Paul says to the Philippians. He says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, I love, I love he sets the bar pretty low here, right? Like if, if there is like the slightest whiff of belief in the gospel in your life, let this be true. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. So be unified in this. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility consider others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the very form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross." Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Jesus, let that be true in our hearts so that it will be true in this place so that we would see that become manifested more and more and more in the community around us. Jesus, you have given such an extraordinary example, but you've done so much more than just given an example. Your life, your death, your resurrection has purchased us and made us your own. I pray that we would believe that and trust that and that you would teach us how to walk in that. Use this morning, use your word in an extraordinary way to build that in us so that we would obey and display you to your image bearers in this city. We love you and we need you and this morning is both from you and for you. Amen. So we're going to look at some Proverbs in, through this lens, through this Philippians 2 lens. And what's important, one, one little asterisk that I want to throw in here, one little footnote before we get going. We can read Philippians 2 and, uh, and, and those of us, especially, especially us Midwesterners, we can, you know, we, we, we have tendencies towards guilt. 
maybe. Maybe you felt this, maybe not. So an, an, an obligation, you know, we have a strong work ethic, which, which kind of cuts both ways, right? So, so we can read something like this, and, 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 and the motivation that can stir in us is something along the lines of, well, Jesus gave everything for me, so I guess I should throw a buck in the box. Which is not what we're going for here. It's not really the motivation that we're looking at here. What we're looking at here is, is this picture that Paul paints of saying, man, if, if the gospel is, has taken hold of you, if, if you find any joy, any delight at all in the gospel, this is what you should be as a people. You should be unified in your concern for one another and for others because that is what Jesus displayed for you. And then he reminds, uh, he reminds the Philippians and he reminds us of the gospel and that should stir in us joy and delight and, 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 and understanding that what comes with the privilege of no longer being our own but being purchased by God through the cross and being filled and guided by the Holy Spirit is that we get to share the mind of Christ. We get to begin to see the world through His eyes. We get to obey Him and display Him to His image bearers around us. That is an extraordinary and awesome privilege. We get to share the blessings that He has given to us with others so that they can also share in that blessing. He extravagantly loves and is extravagantly generous, so we get to be people who are extravagantly generous. The early church took this so seriously that they got the attention of, of one of the Roman emperors. His name was Julian. And he wrote a letter in frustration to someone that says this, Why do we not observe that it is their benevolence to strangers, their care for the, for the graves of the dead, and the pretended holiness of their lives that has done most to increase atheism. Fun fact, atheism is what he referred to Christians as because they didn't follow the Roman gods. So he, so he starts out this letter by saying, have we not noticed that it is their benevolence to strangers that is increasing the spread of the gospel? Do we not notice that it's the way, and that might sound kind of weird, the, their care for the graves of the dead. You're like, what the, what, what is that? That at, at the time, if, if you were too impoverished, you were not able to provide a proper burial for, for your family member. And so that was, you would have, a, your, your family member would then receive a, a disgraceful uh, handling uh, at their passing. And so one of the things, one of the ways that the Christians served the community is they would come around and they would provide honorable burials to the people who were unable to provide that for themselves, which was an act of great love. And here he points it out that the fact that they were doing that is having such an impact that it is continuing to spread the gospel. So he says, and, and, and then he goes on, he says, for it is disgraceful that when no Jew ever has to beg and the godless Galileans support not only their own poor but ours as well, that all men see that our people lack aid from us. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? The emperor's like, this is super annoying. They are so good at serving the poor that none of them are poor anymore and now it's like leaking out into all of our people. They're taking care of all our poor and everyone's looking at us going, well, why aren't you guys doing anything about this? 
Oh, that by the grace of God, that might be our reputation again. That it might be the reputation of the church of Jesus Christ that we are so extravagantly generous that the world feels embarrassed by all of our good press. Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be a nice change of pace? Rather than the current press that we get, much of which we actually deserve because of how and what we communicate and, and what we are and are not doing in the ways we are and are not reflecting the gospel and the fact that right now, according to the most recent statistics, professing Christians, fewer professing Christians give money to nonprofits, which includes churches, than professing non-Christians. So right now, Christians should be the ones who are embarrassed, saying, why are they doing a better job than us? serving and caring for the poor when our Father has cared so graciously and generously for us and commanded us to pay that forward. Now, the beautiful thing is and the privilege that I get to have standing up here right now is I get to communicate this to this particular church which historically is a very generous church. So I get to stand here and not declare to you something that you have never heard before and nobody here is doing, but I get to stand up here and simply remind you of the why and encourage us to do so and be so more and more and more. So in Proverbs chapter 3, we see these two verses. It says, do not withhold good from those whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. Right, pretty practical. Someone asks something of you and you have it in your pocket right now, don't say, oh, I'll think about it, maybe I'll come back tomorrow and give it to you. So if you have the ability to help, help. And do it right now. Don't wait, don't delay. The, the New Testament echo of this is in, is in James chapter 2 where he says, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm and filled. Basically, I wish you the best. Without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So what James is saying and what and what. Solomon is saying in this proverb is God blesses us in order to be a blessing. If you have the ability to serve and give, serve and give. That's, that's why he blesses us. That's why he shares these things with us. That's why he gives to us so that we can give to others. And in, in particular, care for those who cannot care for themselves, the orphan, the widow, the foreigner, the impoverished, has, has always been a foundational aspect of the people of God. Since, since Genesis, that has been an aspect of who God's people are and how you know who God's people are. They care for their fellow image bearers. And, and what James is pointing out here and, and, and what we see in the Proverbs is, is faith, faith always looks like something. Faith, faith always 
has a tangible aspect to it when it is real. Faith never just stays up in your head. It always ends up fleshing out into your hands in one way or another. And, and the way Jesus says it is out of, the, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And we could add to that, and the hand gives. Or, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks and the hand withholds. But either way, it is what you really believe is what is going to flesh out in your, in your actions. In Hebrews, it says, Without faith it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists. That seems pretty straightforward. You've got to believe He's real. And that He rewards those who seek Him. Which, that can be kind of a sticking point for some of us. Like we think, wait a minute, I have to believe that He rewards us? We can even feel guilty about getting rewards. Like I said before, like we don't want that to be our motivation. We want duty to be our motivation. We want obedience to be our motivation. I, I don't, I'm more holy because I don't seek rewards. When, when actually in, in Hebrews it says, it, in, order to, in order for it to be called faith, you actually have to believe that God will reward you for seeking him. You've got to believe, first of all, that he exists and that he rewards. And, and missing that second half is often what paralyzes our obedience. We, we don't actually believe that he rewards those who seek him. We don't actually believe that he will reward our obedience. Or we think he's not rewarding our obedience the way we would like him to. So that counts as not rewarding. So that then becomes our lack of faith because we don't believe that God will reward our obedience, that we, we don't believe that He will ultimately provide what is required for us to obey Him, we, we either knowingly or, or kind of subconsciously end up then blaming God for my disobedience. It is ultimately God's fault that I am not obeying Him in this particular command. I refuse to be generous because God. Right? We try to bl blame shift there. It's not my lack of generosity. It's God's lack of generosity. If He would only give me more, then I would give more. So it's not my lack of generosity. It is God's lack of generosity. Meanwhile, Jesus Himself would warn us, if you can't be faithful with a little, you cannot be trusted to be faithful with much. So in His in, in, in his parable, his, he, he would say, look, if, you're, if, if you find it difficult to give $1 out of 10, do you think it's going to be easier to give 1,000 out of 10,000? Surely not going to give 100,000 out of a million. Like, if you can't give $1 out of 10, do you think as that number gets bigger, you, you will just, by default, become more generous with that? That's not how... That works. He says that when you are obedient with a little, then you are given more responsibility. If we are the faithful servant and obedient with what we have been given right now, then, then like the servant in the parable, we might just hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. When I, when I was thinking about this this week, I was reminded of, of a gentleman 
that I met in Nairobi, Kenya named Martin. And I've shared about him before. I've used him as an example a couple times because he has just always stuck out in, in my head as such a stark picture of this. Because Martin, Martin by our definition, had, had nothing. He was, he was basically one step above the slums. So he was in an apartment that was quite literally across the street from the slums. And he would, he would walk into the slums and minister throughout the day. He was in his early 20s. Um, he was not like a paid vocational minister or missionary. He just worked his job and then spent all of his free time sharing the gospel and meeting the needs of the poor in the slums across the street from him. And Martin is, is sharing a story with me one time and, and, and we're, we're, you know, we're doing this thing where we're, we, were, we were at his apartment and, and, and we were just kind of sharing ministry stories and he was just so excited about something. And, 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 and the thing about Martin is he, was, he would never share something like bragging it would always come out in this kind of like side like just kind of matter of fact sort of way and so you could tell he wasn't talking about this awesome thing he did which actually made it way more convicting that it was so just like normative in the way he was talking about it It wasn't like let me share this special story about this awesome thing I did this one time it was just like so so tell me a story about you know when when you know the the ways that God has used you yesterday and and I'll be like oh uh well, let me think about that. Goes, oh, well, praise God. While you're thinking about it, let me share what happened to me yesterday. I was just so excited that God gave me this opportunity. So this, the, the guy who, who guards our door, which basically means he, he sits in a folding chair with a shotgun across his lap at the front door, um, not necessarily really paying attention to anything, just looking intimidating with the shotgun across his lap. He says, every day I pass by this guy and he's from the Maasai tribe and I, I, you know, I recognize that and I just, I, I, you know, I see him, I talk to him every day and I couldn't believe it. It took me, you know, He's been there for months, and I just noticed this time yesterday when I was walking by that he did not have any shoes. And I thought to myself as I was walking up to my room, why? He has no shoes. I have four pairs of shoes. He has no shoes. Who on earth needs four pairs of shoes when, when every day I walk past somebody who has no shoes? And I feel like, okay, I know where this story is going. That's, that's really awesome, right? That's, that's really great. And so he says, so, so I went up to my room and I grabbed three pairs of my shoes and I went down and I gave him the three pairs of my shoes. Praise God. I was just so excited that God opened my eyes to that opportunity. And at that point in my mind, you hear like the record skip, like, like cut, wait, wait, back, back up just a second. How many of your shoes did you give, did you give him? Three pairs of shoes. Who needs four pairs of shoes? I thought, oh, 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 okay, you, you handled that differently than I would have. <laughs> See, I would have, I would have done that, but, but your, your way's better. <laughs> that, was a, that was a better way to do that. Out of, he wasn't a guy who says, I've got 20 pairs of shoes, surely I can give one away. He's one who said, I have a perfectly good pair of shoes. Why would I not give the rest away when there are people who have no shoes? Which is actually quite literally what Scripture says. If you have two shirts and your brother has none, give one away. Or in Martin's case, if you have four and your brother has none, give three away. One gives freely, it grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. We just get so stuck in this idea of enough. If I just had enough, then I would give away all the extra. 
Then I could be generous if I had enough. But what does enough even mean? Who defines enough? The problem is I define enough based on what I want and then I get bummed at God for not, for not giving me what I have defined is enough and then blame him for my lack of generosity because he has not met my demand for enough. That's broken. And when we say that out loud, hopefully we hear how broken that is. The problem is we don't say that out loud often enough. I just keep operating in that like it's normal instead of taking a step back and saying, wait a minute, I'm not walking in obedience right now. I need to reevaluate here. And this and I when I say we, that's not like a proverbial like that's I mean we. Like this is this this working on this message again has been convicting and a challenge to me because I I've realized that we that there I've had seasons where we have been in a really good rhythm of this and, and that rhythm got disrupted. I'm, I moved to Wisconsin, which which as it turns out was disruptive to my Texas rhythm. Um, imagine that. And and there are things that I have not put intentional effort into reestablishing, right? I'm not trying to blame my circumstances. I'm saying I did not put in the effort to do the things that had just kind of become an automatic aspect of, my, of our life and rhythm in, in, in that church, in that community. And I came here and I realized as I'm walking through this, like, oh man, all the examples I'm thinking of are from two, three, four years ago. I have to take a step back and evaluate what I am being intentional in and what I am not being intentional in and reestablish some of these rhythms. So when you hear me say we, I, I literally mean we. I'm not saying that in the way that we do that sometimes. I'm like, you know, the, well, we, but I really mean you. But I'm being polite by saying it's all of us, right? But not really me, just you. Not, that's not the thing I'm trying to do. So, so from, from the beginning, this, this has been this idea of enough. God, God kiboshes that for us by introducing the idea of first fruits. He says it's not about enough. It's not about when you, you give God the leftovers. He, he calls them first fruits. So he says that come, that's the first decision. The first decision is my commitment to what I give to God and others. And then everything else falls into place after that. Because the reverse never works out the way we intend. Right, because I can say as soon as you know whatever is left, you know, once I get everything covered, then whatever is left over, I'll give away, and somehow magically at the end of every month there is nothing left over. There's even an economic principle based on this, where as income rises, so do expenses. Because as income rises, I increase my standard of living. When in the economy of the kingdom, rather than increasing our standard of living, we should be increasing our standard of giving. I apologize for the rhyme, it just worked. <laughs> because from the beginning, the people of God have been a people who were commanded and delighted in displaying their commitment to the God who provided everything by saying, no, no, this, this, I, this I give back to acknowledge that it's all from you. So the people of God have been people that have always set aside from the outset an amount that goes to the gathered people of God. So in the Old Testament, it was the tabernacle and the temple. In the New Testament, it's the church, the gathered people of God, and to others to meet the needs of one another within the church and outside of the church. I love, I love the practical way that this fleshed out 
in the Old Testament. They were agrarian people, and so it looked a little different for them. They weren't going to punch the clock. They were working the field. And, and the rule was, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. That word sojourner, that word is translated differently in, in different parts of the Old Testament. Sometimes it says the foreigner. Sometimes it says the alien. I am the Lord your God. This is very practical. Don't harvest your entire field because there's people who don't even have a field. So leave the edges so that those who have no field can come and they can glean off of that. Why? He explains a few verses later. Because you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. That's a, that's a strong way to punctuate a command, right? We, we are a need-meeting people because it reflects obedience to both aspects of the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with everything you are and everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. It is an act of glorious worship of the God who has given us everything. It is an act of glorious privilege in demonstrating that love by caring for the needs of our fellow image bearers around us. It is an act of worship, as we see in this proverb. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. There's that idea of reward again. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord is an act of worship. And Jesus reflects that when he describes the final judgment. He says, the king will say to them, truly I say to you, as you did it for one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it for me. So our act of caring for those who cannot care for themselves or for whom it is difficult to care for themselves is, is quite literally Jesus says, and it's, it's like you're doing it for me. And he says, come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. That is a pretty awesome reward. Come and enter eternity in the kingdom of God. Now, the tricky thing is that this sword then cuts both ways, okay? So, so we're going to do, do a bad news sandwich here, right? So there's some good news, and we're going to do a little bad news, and then, and then we're going to end on some positive motivation again, okay? So bad, bad news sandwich with, with good news bread, okay? So good news is it is a glorious and delightful and amazing act of worship to our God, our Creator, to actively and sacrificially care for those around us, to share what we have, to be extravagantly generous in, in, with our time, with our resources, with, with all the resources that he gives us, time, money, gifts. But then the other side of that coin is if that is true, if to do so is 
a glorious act of worship, if sacrificially meeting the needs of the poor and the orphan and the widow and the foreigner is an act of serving the Lord himself, then to refuse or to ignore that is an insult to God himself. Whoever mocks the poor insults his maker. We are quick to judge and be like, you should just work harder. If you were responsible, you wouldn't be in this position. If you, had, if you had been smart like me, made good choices like I have, you wouldn't be where you are right now. Proverbs will warn you, you're on awful thin ice right now because there's a sovereign creator God of the universe who made that person in his image. And right now you're telling him that he did a crummy job. So I would tread lightly. And the other side of the Matthew 25 coin is, well, Jesus looks to those on his right, the king of all creation looks to those on his right and says, when you fed the poor, when you visited the sick, when you visited the prisoner, when you, when you did these things, when you cared for those who needed care, you were doing it for me. He then turns to those on his left and says, when you ignored that, when you refused, when you were too busy or lazy or selfish to worry about anybody else, it was me that you were ignoring. It is me that you are allowing to continue to suffer. You did not do it to me. And another heavy proverb says, whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. And again, well, while those on his right are told, enter into the joy of your master and into the inheritance that has been prepared for you from the foundation of the earth, those on his left are told, depart from me, you cursed. That is heavy. God takes the neglect of the poor seriously. Because those are his image bearers. Those are his image bearers. This particular act of obedience does not save or condemn you in and of itself. It's not like we look at this and go, okay, well, according to Matthew 25, as long as I go serve at a homeless shelter, good to go. And if I don't, I'm a goner. That's not functionally what he's saying here, because there's nothing that we can do to save ourselves, right? That's, that's why we're here, because we believe that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone. This is not our own doing, it is the gift of God, not by works, so none of us can boast. However, Scripture is clear that there are certain things that reveal the state of our heart and that we should be aware of those things. An unwillingness to love those who Jesus loves, who is the Father and everyone, and serve how Jesus asks us to serve reveals a lack of faith in the grace and the provision of God and could even reveal a hardened heart. The Old Testament will warn us that it matters little what we say 
and what we sing if our lives and our wallets don't align. Because our lives and our wallets will rat us out. They tell the truth all the time. They scream loud and clear what it is that we really worship. And the prophet Isaiah and Amos will, will both declare quite boldly to Israel that God is, says he is annoyed with your songs and hates the sound of your gathered worship assemblies because you neglect the poor. Isaiah says it several times. Here is, here's one where he mentions it. It says, Is not the fast that I chose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, and to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and to not hide yourself from your own flesh? What that means is from your, from your own people, your own neighbor, your own fellow image bearer. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn. and Your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall call and he will say, Here I am. That's good stuff. I like this second half, right? And he says, you'll know, you'll see this. Your eyes will be open to all the reality of this already happening when you are walking in the things that he has saved and is sustaining and has sent us to be and do. One of the more stark and alarming reminders of this is in Ezekiel, where he references something that the first time I saw this, it threw me for quite the loop. Remember Sodom? What was their sin? Don't shout it out. Just think of it. (laughs) What was the sin of Sodom? Ezekiel tells us. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her sisters had pride excess of food and prosperous ease but did not aid the poor and needy. So the first time I read that I thought that's not what I thought the problem was. And that hits a little closer to home. We have excess Compared to the vast majority of the world, we have prosperous ease. And I'm not saying life is not difficult for many of us and that we struggle, because we do. But we are a blessed people in a blessed country. And we would be wise to heed warnings like this, to say, that is not meant for your own comfort and your own ease, but so that we would be able to be a blessing to our brothers and sisters in this church, to our fellow image bearers in this community, and to other nations around the world. Not 
out of obligation, but out of delight in the gospel. Here's how Paul says this in a familiar uh, passage in 2 Corinthians. He says in chapter 9, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely and is given to the poor and his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. That is good. He says, we give. We give not out of compulsion or duty. We give out of delight and joy. And if when you hear that, you, you hear that as an excuse why you don't have to give, well, I'm not, I'm not joyful about it, so I guess I shouldn't give. That's the worst. I'm sorry. That is, that is a terrible excuse. Please don't use Scripture to justify your disobedience to Scripture. When we, when we believe, well, generosity, that was the law, the tithe, all that stuff, that was, that was law. We're, we've been set free from the law. Yes. Do we believe that the gospel has empowered us to be less generous than the law? Or should that inspire more joy in, in, in giving and in generosity? And what it does is it shifts it where the law, it was duty and obligation. Now it is out of joy and delight that I get to do this. In my joy, I get to give away three pairs of my shoes. In my joy, I get to move that person into my home because God has blessed me with an extra room and they're in need and so I get to help them out in that way. It is, there is joy in that. And I love that he goes on and explains generosity. They will, they will, says they will glorify God and be encouraged by your submission to the gospel. Generosity inspires worship and gratitude towards God in your own heart and in the, in the heart of the recipients. Generosity reveals the presence of God's grace in your life, it says, and, and reveals your submission to the gospel, which then re results in God being glorified and worshipped and the people of God encouraged. It's all awesome. That feels like a win, doesn't it? It's a beautiful privilege to get to be generous, to get to display our generous Father to others. Maybe you go, well, how, how, do we, how do I do, like, how do I give? I don't even know where to start. 
Three, three practicals. Start by giving to the church. As I said before, this church is a generous church. It has been a generous church. It is our desire to only become more so. If there is a massive influx in giving, staff does not get a bonus. That does not go to us. That just provides more opportunity for us to be able to meet the needs of of the hurting members of this church, people in the community, and to help other struggling churches, which is our blessing and our privilege. A sizable percentage of our money already goes out, which is amazing. We would like to increase that more and more and more, that we could have an even greater impact in this, in this city, in the surrounding towns, and, and around the world. We use money that comes in once we've got to pay the bills and, and we've got to keep the AC running and things like that, but as much as we can, we, the money goes out and we use that money to help people pay their bills and buy groceries. We use money to help them get fuel for their cars so they can get to work. We support ministry to the homeless in our city and, and help provide meals regularly for them. We provide help to families who are fostering and adopting and missionaries serving all over the world. We give support to other churches and new church plants. And we want to do that more and more and more. Proverbs 28.8 says, Whoever multiplies his wealth by in, in, interest and profit gathers it for him who is generous to the poor. So, so sometimes when we don't know what to do, it's a matter of going, okay, well, who's generous around me? I'll give it to them because they're really good at giving it away. And whether that's our church or whether that's another nonprofit, be generous to people who are good at giving it away. The more that is given, the more we are able to be generous as a family. One of the ways we do that is helping other churches that all over the New Testament, we see churches. In fact, the, the, the Second Corinthians, what Paul is talking about there is they're gathering money for another struggling church because there's a lot of poor. They're unable to provide for themselves. And so one church is gathering to send money to another church in another city. Because just like within families, within church families, some have been blessed more than others and, and, and that's meant to be shared. So it is our great delight in sharing with our extended family of churches and give to those in need all around us, all around you right now. You may even have in your mind right now a person or a family where you go, Man, maybe they could use some help. I know they could use some help. Maybe they need, maybe they need a bag of groceries. Maybe they need a bill paid. Maybe they need you to Ask them, how, how can we help? Maybe you're in a position where you can go straight to the utility company and just pay a month's bill for them. They don't even have to know. But there are people around us right now, and if you can't think of anyone there, we have local nonprofits like Abundant Life and Habitat for Humanity that are actively working to, to help meet the needs and address issues of poverty in our community right here. Give your time and your resources generously to them. Jesus told us to give to those who ask of you. Let's be a people who believe he actually meant it. And let's be a people 
who in our joy and our delight are quick to say, yes. In fact, I have it with me right now. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. Not because they have earned it or deserve it, not out of obligation or duty or to prove that you're a good person, but because generosity reveals and puts on display God's glorious grace in you. It puts on display your submission to and dependence on the gospel of Jesus Christ and it stirs and produces worship and thanksgiving of our extravagantly generous Father. Pray with me that we would reflect this and be this kind of church. Spirit, I know that you are moving in this place. You've been moving in this place for a very long time. And you have already gathered together a group of generous men and women who have given generously to this church, to this community, to, to missions to see your gospel declared and needs met all around the world. God, we, we ask that we would have the privilege and experience the joy of seeing that more and more and more. And I thank you for what you have already been doing in this place. I cannot wait to see what you are going to continue to do. We want to see more people worship. We want to see more gratitude and more thanksgiving. And we want to feel the joy and the delight that comes from sharing all that you have shared with us. And help us, allow us the privilege of feeling that joy and experiencing that together as a family And let us delight in you meeting the needs of your people and seeing your gospel expand. Amen.